Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today, we're here with Shannon from Basically Behavior, and Shannon and I actually attended a training together. So we were in this really large training. It was a Zoom training through the thinkkids.org website, and it was all on the collaborative problem-solving model. And she actually sent me a message and was like, hey, are you in this training? And we were actually taking the exact same training, so we thought it'd be really cool to do an entire episode about what we think about the collaborative problem-solving model for behavioral skills teaching or just teaching behavioral and social emotional learning skills in general. So we're just going to get right into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today we have Shannon with us and Shannon, want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I am Shannon. I work in Winston-Salem, North Carolina as a behavior specialist within our school district. Um, I'm a special educator at heart, um, 18 years in the field, working specifically with students that have behavior and emotional disabilities. Awesome. And where can people find you so they can follow along with all the, all the great things you post? So on Instagram, I'm at basically behavior. Awesome. And today we're going to be talking about, Shannon and I were actually in the same training. We were in a training called Think Kids training, and it's through... Was it, I think it was through Harvard Medical Center or um, Massachusetts. It, it's a training yeah. over in, in that area. And the overall training is through Think Kids, and it's called Collaborative Problem Solving. And we were in the Tier 1 level training. So there's a couple of different tiers, and we were in the introductory Tier 1 level. And we thought it would be cool just to talk about what we learned and provide you with some information about this training if you're interested in it. And just talk about, from a behavioral perspective and a school-based perspective, what we thought about the training. So what were your initial thoughts about just like the framework that they presented? First, I guess really to talk about what got me interested in it is I'm a a big believer in the philosophy of kids do well if they can. Mm -hmm. And um, I think if we all go into it with that mind frame, then it opens up the possibility for behavior change and making those adaptations. So when we were in the training, really their entire framework is based on that but primarily what i'm interested in is their plan b Mm -hmm. i don't know if you want to go over their their three plans or if anybody that's listening has read um the books uh lost at school it kind of goes into detail but plan b is like it's where it's at where it happens Mm Right. And and what Shannon's referring to is this collaborative problem solving framework talks about plan A, plan B, and plan C. And plan A is more um, adult directed. So it's it's an adult sets an expectation and the expectation, the expectation is that you follow through with that expectation. And plan C is that if we're starting to see some undesired target behaviors that we kind of drop that expectation in order to reduce those problem behaviors. And plan B is the collaborative part of this and the B stands for both where the adult and the child are both working together to come up with a solution to something that the student might be struggling with. And this collaborative problem solving plan talks all about um, how to walk through a plan B and they provide you with language and how to identify different aspects of the behavior that you are targeting and really identifying that narrowing in on it and identifying what the adult concern is and then using the student's perspective and talking with the student about what their concern is and coming up with a plan together. So that's that's like the kind of the framework. There's a lot more detail. We were in a four-day training that um, 
we learned all of this information and they really do have a, a very strong research-based framework. There's a lot of research to support the framework that they're utilizing. And if, if anyone's interested, I highly recommend going on the thinkkids.org website because they have a lot of free resources, some of their templates and all of that. And another thing that is really an integral piece to their framework is the lagging skills piece of it, where they have an assessment of lagging skills, where you identify what a student might be lagging in that is preventing them from engaging in that appropriate behavior. And then again, helping using that information to help inform your interventions. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the framework and everything. I agree with Shannon 100%. I think plan B is where it's at. I think that it can be a really, really strong tier two plan for kids who are struggling with social, emotional, behavioral skills. I think this is a great option for tier two. Um, I don't think it, I'm not sold that it completely replaces a formal functional behavior assessment for behaviors that warrant that level of assessment. But I do think it provides mm -hmm. a really strong framework for tier two. And I think, um, if you if you operate within an MTSS framework, those tier tier one, two, and three, I think tier two a lot of people are don't have don't have the strongest tier two base, and this is a really strong base that I think that we can build off of in schools in a, in a feasible way to to address problem behaviors in school. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I really appreciated. I think it was like on day one where they talked about challenging conventional wisdom. And I don't know about you, but for so much of what I do when we're in and out of school buildings, when it comes to behavior, because behavior can be so intense at times, mm -hmm. and I think <clears throat> we go into it trying to, I don't necessarily think that we always go into it trying to understand it. We go into it trying to stop it. Mm -hmm. And so that lens that they give on challenging that conventional wisdom that kids do well if they want to and switching that up to kids do well if they can allows us to kind of um, open our minds to being more flexible ourselves mm -hmm. and looking at what that behavior is saying to us. So I just appreciate um, the, the fact that they did reinforce that behavior is a form of communication and that it is so com complex. Mm -hmm. And it's very rare that just in the moment where you see the topography of that behavior, you're not, you might not understand it the first day, the second day. Um, you've got to take a little bit of a, a deeper dive. Right. Um, which really goes back to like when we were talking about plan A and mm -hmm. the whole idea that it's imposing adult will. I think mm -hmm. most of the time that's what we do because when the behavior is happening, we just know like that's got to stop. But, you know, being a teacher, you have so many things going on and, and some, some of the worries are, well, if, if I'm letting her do that, then what happens when all the other kids start doing that? And I don't have time to deal with that in this moment, so I just need it to, to stop. So right. I thought that that was an important, in, those, in that first day, um, mm -hmm. it was something that I really, it resonated with my thinking and just my philosophy overall. Right, absolutely. And I, I like how you brought that up, The their whole, like their framework and their basis for this program is is kids do well if they can it's kind of their their foundation for it and what they mean by that is that we can't motivate a kid to engage in a behavior that they fundamentally don't have the skills to do right now just like we you couldn't motivate an adult to engage in a behavior that they don't know how to do you can't if if someone never learned to swim no amount of money is going to going to motivate them to swim, it might motivate them to learn the skill, which I think is where we move into this collaborative problem solving model where it's focused on skill-based learning and, and identifying skills that we can explicitly teach our students so that they are building these skills and able to engage in the appropriate behavior as opposed to some of that more typical behavior intervention where we think that providing tokens or tickets or something is, is solely going to do the trick and change the behavior. Mm -hmm. Because often it's not that our kids aren't motivated, that's why they're not engaging in it, but it's that they don't have some skill that is allowing them to, to engage in that behavior. I don't know about you, but in that moment, um, and I think that was, that was like the first day um, when we started really talking about or touching the surface of rewards and consequences, but that motivation piece, um, I remember taking a note and just saying, aha, that's it for behavior intervention plans. 
But I think so often um, in the world of exceptionalities, and I'm going to also say in the world of non-exceptionalities, when a behavior intervention plan comes in place, suddenly people seem to think that it's this magical document, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to solve all the problems. And tomorrow I have this piece of paper and, you know, Maria, she's going to come in and do everything that we put on this paper. Mm -hmm. Um, And we forget we put this investment in the reinforcers and the response, but the prescription is the teaching of the skills. And I think that's why we, we fail so often. And we set ourselves up and we set the kids up uh, because we forget that that's the action piece. Mm -hmm. Um, So I made the connection for this assessment of lagging skills and, and thinking about how we can utilize it in our district is helping, um, coach teachers through that process if you really truly understand the lagging skill then developing a plan to actively teach and support mm-hmm. because obviously you know the more kids have an opportunity to practice those skills then you can reinforce those skills and the more right. often I'm going to hopefully use them but that was just something that really hit home with me right I, I totally agree and I think at times the perception of a behavior plan is a plan of what to do if the undesired behavior occurs and it and the focus mm-hmm. is what is and and I've said this like so many times before on the podcast like what is the punishment going to be and we've talked mm-hmm. you know about the idea of punishment here on the podcast but I think that there's a perception that the behavior plan should be focused on what do I do when the undesired behavior occurs. Not that, not saying that we shouldn't have a plan for that. Like we definitely want to have a plan for that because we don't want to be inadvertently reinforcing the behavior. But the the like the meat and potatoes of a behavior plan should be how are we arranging the environment so that the student can be successful, and how are we teaching the skills that we mm-hmm. want to see in the lagging skills so that our students can be successful. Not necessarily that outcome piece of it where where there's a consequence to the undesired behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they went over progressive discipline, and and I appreciated how we went into, like, what discipline really means. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, (laughs) because, again, behavior, they always expect that their behavior is going to have to have a punisher, Mm-hmm. You're not going to find that in collaborative problem solving because even if you stick with a plan B, it's even if the behavior happened and it was it was wrong, it's it's a collaborative process where right. they're they're coming together. And I was wondering to myself how many you know that can be a hiccup for some people because mm-hmm. I think traditionally that is the way a lot of us were raised, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's our experience. It's how we see the world, right? You know, you threw a chair, so I have to provide a punishment for that chair throwing mm-hmm. rather than thinking, what is that behavior speaking to me? Maybe I need to change something in the way that I deliver the instruction or uh, maybe I need to look for more opportunities to reinforce. So Right. And they were and they actually touched on that on the last day when they said they were going over like frequently asked questions. And one of the questions is, well, what like what do we do if, you know, the undesired behavior occurs? And they said, or what, would, what should be the consequence of that? And they said the consequence is that we're building a skill. And and I've talked about a little bit about that on the podcast. And I never wanted to come off like learning something should be a punishment, but that we as the adults need to look at that and say, okay, what can we do in the environment to support the student? And what can we do in, in regards to teaching skills so that our students have those skills to engage in the appropriate behavior? Because again, if they had the skills, they would be engaging in them. Kids do well if they can, right? And that's, that is such like a key piece of this. And I do see this being really successful in schools because it does give a pretty like solid framework for teams to work within and Mm -hmm. it gives the students so much voice in the plan. And, um, if you, if anyone has the opportunity to go to the training, they, they talk a lot about, you know, if, if we're working with a kid and we're talking to them about, about why, you know, why something is challenging or, you know, what's preventing them from engaging in appropriate behavior. We might hear, I don't know a lot, or we might hear, I don't know, or I don't want to talk about it or something, but that once you have a strong relationship with that student, they can open up and tell you what's going on. And it could be a really simple fix, or it could be, you know, something that you decide together to, to help build those skills 
and it just gives them so much buy-in and, and, and has them um, as a key stakeholder in the plan, which I think is something that we don't do enough of when we're developing behavior plans. Yeah, yeah. So in the group, the little breakout groups that I, that I was in, there was a, two teachers that were from New York. So they were kind of, um, their principal was looking at this and being a school-wide model. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, one of the things that we discussed, because I was just highly interested from the educator's perspective, being in the classroom, you know, how do they, did this feel natural? Is this something that was reasonable, attainable for them to do? Mm-hmm. Because my role coming in as an outsider, coming into a classroom and offering up, you know, we can do this assessment of lagging skills and this is how you should, you know, think about it this way. Sometimes, you know, is perceived, you know, well, who, you know, who are you? You're coming into this classroom as an outsider. And I don't ever want to come off that way. Mm-hmm. So they're, their standpoint was valuable. And what one of the um, teachers said really stuck with me because she said it helps her stay grounded so that even if that behavior is happening, at least she knows that she has that framework and that mm-hmm. she can say, like, like, I've got plan B. And I think if we can kind of get out of that cycle, and sometimes you don't have to necessarily respond to a, a misbehavior or mm-hmm. a behavior mistake in that moment. Mm-hmm. You can come back to it, um, and I think that was that, for me that was powerful. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, that takes again that takes you know looking at it through a different set of eyes and thinking, okay. But um, I thought that was yeah. something to think about. Yeah, it's definitely a mindset shift, and I think um, it's something that the teachers that I work with, they're looking for guidance and support. And if we can bring this framework in and really get it up and running in the building, I think it it can be something that teachers go to and we as behavior specialists can help support, but then also be there. Um, Because again, I, I think that we will have students who might have intense needs that we do need to do a formal functional behavior assessment on. And by formal functional behavior assessment, I mean collecting the antecedent behavior consequence data to determine the function and then and then implement a plan that leads to a functionally alternative replacement behavior. And I think that's something that I, I just, I think that this can be a really great tool for teachers who are seeking some of that guidance and support because it is such a strong, like, systematic process. Once you have some of the methods down, and, and it is something that you have to get used to, they give you a lot of really great language to use, which I think can help support teachers because oftentimes when I'm working with teachers, like, I just don't know what to do next. Or if this happens, I don't know what to do. And, and if you learn a framework, it's not all about if this situation happens, what do I do? It's I operate within that framework. And that gives me the guidance in my classroom to help support my students, which I think can give a lot of um, a lot of efficacy to teachers and a lot of confidence to teachers that, mm-hmm. that this is something that they are 100% capable of doing in their classrooms. But I do yeah. like how you brought up feasibility because that is, that is a huge piece of this and they talk about feasibility of it a little bit of there are certain things that you're going to have to plan a because there's like safety concerns right right certain things that you're going to plan c because Mm -hmm. in the moment you're working on other skills and it's okay Mm -hmm. if we you know if we are engaging in plan c so that our students are successful and we have the the Mm -hmm. window opportunity to to really build another skill with plan b Mm -hmm. there's some behaviors that you are going to have to put kind of on pause like Mm -hmm you have to prioritize, you know, I know you've probably been in situations where you're problem solving and you've got a student that has a lot of needs. We can't tackle all of those. Mm -hmm. We have to tackle, you know, we think about safety, we think about ones that are, you know, the most important for us at the time. And so that's where I see, you know, plan C can kind of give us that resolve, like, okay, I'm going to put that on the back burner for now. And right. that it's, there are times where, yeah, you are going to have to to rock to plan A and impose your adult will. Um, I think about, like, if my son runs out in the middle of the road um, in the neighborhood and he do, I'm going to quickly react with the plan A because I get scared. Um, also, the nice thing about a framework such as this is that you can always go back eventually to that, the way of their their framework and that I'm going to say their graphic organizer because who doesn't like a 
the graphic organizer and how it brings you back to that empathy step, which mm -hmm. is so important for us as adults to, to model, but also to tap into. I think mm -hmm. um, it's a strange thing to get in tune with that sometimes and to, you know, express it that way when you're discussing with a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I'm a, I'm also trained in restorative practices, and I'm a circles trainer. Mm -hmm. And affective statements are the hardest thing to um, bring in adults with to get them adjusted to that. But um, so I appreciate the ability to kind of rock between all three of those. Mm -hmm. But really, our goal ultimately in the end is to to bring bring up bring a plan B into place into action so that we can address those lagging skills. One of the things that I was going to say is that I really enjoyed was from day one when they set their expectations, and this is a major shout out to Think Kids, just their ability, they added in that whole layer of implicit bias and equity, um, and I think uh, for, you know, all of us, as we know that disproportionality is real and um, especially when we're working with students with behavior needs and the um, disproportionate rates of black males that are being suspended, Anytime I'm giving an in-service, we're looking for ways to consistently build that in there, but to also inspect our own bias. Mm -hmm. And so I really, that made me from the very beginning feel more open mm -hmm. um, to and receptive to what we were going to be talking about. Right. Um, and also to think about ways that if I'm working with teachers or with administrators, how to address that coming in uh, from the very beginning. Right. And they they also provided, if um, you go through their training, but even if you just download some of their resources, they provide a ton of the research behind their program. And they talk about how the framework that they're using is rooted in the research that is informing trauma-informed care and culturally responsive practices, which I think is so huge as well with this framework is that you're encompassing social emotional behavioral skills through a trauma-informed lens and being culturally responsive all at the same time if you're if you're really utilizing the core aspects of their framework and i think that that's a lot of bang for your buck right like if we mm -hmm. can utilize a framework that helps us encompass all of that and like with restorative practices I definitely think that there's pieces of the puzzle that we can bring and help really support this so that we have really a uh, robust intervention framework for our students that um, really helps, you know, support their, their skills. And I, I too really appreciated that they did spend time on the first day of the training to talk about implicit biases and um, you know, behavioral and social emotional learning in that framework so that you know, mm -hmm. it sets the tone for the rest of the training and helps us um, really look at this through a lens of trauma-informed care and culturally responsive mm -hmm. practice, which I think uh, we as educators should always be striving for and um, ensuring that if we are seeking out more professional development, everything, that we are seeking out high-quality professional development that is taking mm -hmm. into account cultural responsive practices and trauma-informed care um, for all of our students. So how did you tell me how you felt about taking the um, assessment of lagging skills? Because then they, they had us do that like the first day. Mm -hmm. And so I had some shockers. No, I don't want to say they were shockers. But for myself, I'm like, oh, my emotional regulation skills are pretty needy. And so I'm like texting my teammates and they're like, yep, that's you. <laughs> Cognitive flexibility, um, you know, like when there's a change and I haven't had enough time. So I also was like, you know what? We should as adults, you know, mm -hmm. as part of like, just like personality tests or whatever. I, I appreciated doing that because I was like, okay, I need to be realistic about myself. And I think as an educator going into a classroom as well, like you need to know, like, what's a five for you? Mm -hmm. These are things that I'm absolutely, I'm not going to be able to tolerate. Or these are things that I know I'm going to have a hard time with so that I can get in front of it um, mm -hmm. because we're not going to have, it's not going to always be rainbows and butterflies. Right. You may have had a perfect classroom for like 15 straight years and all your systems have been going right. And then boom, mm -hmm. suddenly um, Shannon comes in your room and rocks the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I. So what Shannon's talking about is they have a whole assessment of lagging skills. I highly encourage people to go on their website and I'll link their website down in the description of this episode. 
of lagging skills and they had us take the lagging skills assessment and essentially what you do is you go through these five core pillars of different skill sets and you just identify if you feel like that is a something that you're really good at if it's something it was like me easy medium hard or something I think was the scale um, so yeah. it's kind of like a Likert scale type of assessment and um, I was actually surprised as well when I was doing it with um, I, f I feel like I'm a very organized person, but my lagging skills were like in the attention piece of it because I didn't realize that the, like throughout the day, I have like a note, a uh, post-it note next to me with a pen. And if I'm working on something, it's like my mind is also like three different places and I'm like, okay, I need to do this. And I'm like writing all this stuff down. I have 500 tabs open and I'm like, doing multiple projects at the same time, which I know like for work efficiency is probably not like the best strategy, but I always feel like I'm like, game for, like yeah, like the ne next big project I'm like game for and I'm like, okay, how do I get all of this stuff done? And so I didn't, I, I didn't ever frame that as attention to tasks that I can't really sit down and do a whole task from start to finish. I'm like working on little pieces and po components of like all the other tasks that I have going on as well. Um, which, you know, some people refer to being as multi-passionate, but <laughs> it's just, it was just like, it was really interesting because I, I never put those pieces together. And I think that if you, if you look at the lagging skills assessment, um, from the lens of like yourself, but also if you look at it from the lens of the students in your classroom, I think it can really help us identify that and reinforce the concept kids do all if they can and not kids mm -hmm. do all if they want to. And because um, a lot of times I've I've used the term lagging skills for a while, and people are like, I don't like I don't know what that means, and they give a nice like breakdown of those five pillars of different areas mm -hmm. um, of skill development that can really help guide the plan. And if you if you see, it can also help really prioritize because, like you said, some of our students have a lot of needs, and mm -hmm. um, if we do the assessment of lagging skills and identify an area that okay, this is, this is an area that our students, you know, globally lagging in, we can focus on that area as opposed to like the little pieces of the other areas. I appreciate it because, um, and the five areas are language and communication. I think oftentimes when dealing with students with behavior needs, we, we assume because they have language that there might, there's no deficit mm -hmm. there. And mm -hmm. I think that is often, um, under-identified, you mm -hmm. know, we think about some of our kids that are coming into our school setting, the way that they access a toy or something they want is they take it, and that's what works in their environment, right? So I appreciated that one. Um, what was the attention and working, attention and work and memory, emotion and self-regulation, cognitive flexibility, and social thinking. And so that social thinking one, especially when we're thinking about, you know, thinking about self and others, that perspective taking ability. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you've had experiences with students. That is a hard one to mm -hmm. teach, that how your behavior um, impacts the world around you. And then um, I think they brought up the point that some people know um, that it impacts the world around them or their friends, but they don't care. Um, and so... Just after having that as a tool, I think it create, generates an ability to have a better dialogue mm -hmm. with um, teachers and then to kind of drill down into focusing on maybe one specific skill. Like what can you in this time period, like what's something we can all commit to in supporting the needs of this learner mm -hmm. um, to, you know, help them attain that lagging skill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I like how... You said what's something that we can commit to as a team to help supporting this learner because another aspect of plan B is that you're not working at, at, on 500 things at once, that you're really focusing on developing a collaborative solution to a, a, challenge, a challenge that that student is having. You're focusing on that. And um, they, they, they talk about the weighing, do, do you do something, do you focus on something that you can be really successful with right off the bat and build on that success? Or do you focus on like a more higher priority behavior that might be a little bit more challenging, but it's going to open the door to a lot of other behaviors um, and build the skills of other reciprocal behaviors based on that. And I think that one of the downsides of sub-behavior plans that I see is that 
every single intervention known to man is like in that behavior plan. Like there's just like, it is like pages long of recommendations and there's no feasible way that a teacher can implement every single recommendation if there's a page long of antecedent interventions that we're supposed to be implementing. But this, this framework really nails down like what are we doing as a team? What are we doing together to help solve this problem? And then we can move on to the next and we can move on to the next skills to build. Um, so I think it, it kind of simplifies it a little bit and really narrows our focus, which I think can lead to a lot of success with our students. Yeah. And the interaction piece, you know, I think so often, like, we'll have it a really solid, we, we can usually, I'm sure we could say any behavior right now and come up with several interventions. Oh, I would do right. this for that. And this is how I would reinforce that. And this is, this is what I would do. And I think the takeaway from being a teacher in the classroom, but now being a, a support for teachers, is what what I find that people are asking for is how do I interact with the student when mm-hmm. this happens? What do I say mm-hmm. when this is going on? Um, and not only do I need to know so that I can maintain, you know, try my level headedness and right. try to steer clear and not overreact or underreact. Um, but then also make sure that I'm giving the student what they need. And, and so, again, I keep going back to that, the whole framework and the graphic organizer and the ability to first empathize, make sure we're listening um, to what the student is saying. That gives us some of that, what, what I feel like sometimes I'm missing when I'm in a coaching session mm-hmm. with teachers and that they, they really like to have in their hand. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost, I guess, a script. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Yeah. They do provide a really nice framework for how to, to phrase things so you don't come off as um, presenting a challenge to the student because we know we know that when you're one when we're talking with a student about their behavior an automatic defense might go up a little bit right so if we're having conversation with a student they might be a little bit defensive or uh, processing verbal information when you're stressed or anxious at all can be really challenging and not only processing verbal information but being able to communicate your feelings wants needs in that moment can be challenging and they do provide a really nice script so it's a very it's a very natural conversation that you can have with a student and it doesn't put either of you on the defense but it's more of a um very collaborative approach obviously that's in the name but Mm -hmm. they also do talk about how kids um, especially older kids are probably really used to them potentially saying something and that that suggestion not being taken seriously or um, us as adults thinking that that's not a possibility so they might take a while to open up and really suggest this is what I think would help me um, or this is what I need in in that moment um, for us to then agree to it and they, they did talk about being flexible with what what the team is is implementing right so that's also a mindset shift around the voice and choice that we give to students have you read the book how to talk so kids will listen i haven't uh-huh. so when i was in this training the whole time and i forgive me i don't know the, the authors but it's a, like 1983 this book um, and it's an easy read. So anybody that's listening, I do recommend the book because when I was in this session, I can't, could not help but to think back about um, some of the strategies that are offered in that book. And it's written by two psychologists who were moms that just like found each other at a, you know, a, I don't know, a, a play date or some type of mommy and me session. Um, and it goes through like examples, but it really is like validating kids not denying their feelings and seeking to understand like we you can listen to someone and provide some understanding and not agree like mm-hmm. it may not be the, the plan that like having a student be able to put their options on the table it doesn't mm-hmm. say that's the one we're going with right the big part of the big piece of the puzzle is, is does it meet your need and does it meet mine that's the, the healthy like where we're coming with that compromise mm-hmm. um but we can all have our, we can all voice our concerns in a healthy way and lean into some of that understanding. And so that was just one of the things I was thinking about in there. Um, it's a really good, a good book. I reference it a lot in de-escalation trainings. Nice. It's always interesting when things come together and mm-hmm. you can 
puzzle. Yeah, I I do like when I'm in trainings. I'll have to actually I'll have to add that to my list of books to listen to. Um, but I I do like when I'm in trainings and I'm and I'm like okay, so from this training and this training, these are like the pieces of the puzzle that we can put together mm-hmm. to really again have a really robust systematic process for behavior mm-hmm. change that doesn't just focus on token-based systems. I feel right. like that's like the default and especially as a BCBA, a lot of people have the uh, assumption about BCBAs or ABA in general that it's a token-based system or like that you're doing like all this extrinsic reinforcement when it's mm-hmm. so much more than that. Um, mm-hmm. Another great area of of professional development would be acceptance and commitment therapy or acceptance and commitment training. The ACT training is a great behavior analytic model to a lot of social emotional learning skills and stuff like that. And it's, it's just, it's nice to pull all these pieces together and also validate what you've learned in other areas because a lot of them go really well hand in hand with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bring up a good point because I think this was like day two and I, I felt <laughs> I felt triggered (laughs) just a little bit because I did feel like just the idea behind behavior analysis, like just our ABCJ, that it was kind of getting a bad rep, like Mm -hmm. that all we do is want to feed um, rewards. Mm -hmm. Um, In in my mind, whenever we provide in-service and whenever we have the opportunity to get in front of our teachers and talk about functional behavior assessment, behavior intervention plans, our focus is always really on the antecedent piece most right. of them because that's, you know, you have so much of the, the structure and the support that you can put into place mm-hmm. belongs there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about, you know, if you took away carrots and sticks mm-hmm. um, or, or if you only had carrots and sticks, but you weren't doing anything to address the structure. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to work. So I just, there was a moment where I was like, well, wait a minute now. I feel like we're getting the bad, like, this is something like applied behavior analysis. There's there's evidence based on functional behavior assessments too. Let's mm-hmm. not, let's not walk right. away from this thinking that right. it doesn't have a place because I think that it very, it does. Right. Um, and I think that be necessary at times. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a misunderstanding of what reinforcement is. And I think mm-hmm. that some of the history of ABA doesn't lend itself well to people understanding what reinforcement is because they're, you know, not all of ABA's history is bright and shiny. Um, but that reinforcement is not just pretzel or goldfish or a sticker or a token on a token board, but that walking through this collaborative problem solving experience with a student and validating their feelings can be reinforcing. Like to a student, feeling heard can be intrinsically reinforcing. And I think that what we really have to understand about reinforcement is that we're reinforcing a behavior if that behavior continues in the future, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. if we can get a kid to communicate about, you know, their needs and wants in a moment or something that they think would be effective for them and we can continue this process, we're reinforcing that problem-solving skill by allowing them that space, validating their feelings. If we continue Mm -hmm. to see these behaviors, we're reinforcing it. And I think it... I think I did too feel this exact same way as you, but I think it just comes from a misunderstanding that reinforcement yeah. is not just extrinsic motivators, but that mm-hmm. I'm reinforced by getting out of bed um, on time and not hitting my snooze button because I like a very calm morning and that, that propels me to get out of bed on time. I don't like feeling rushed. I'm escaping that feeling of anxiety of being rushed all morning and feeling like I have to get out the door by getting up early and 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 that's not some sort of extrinsic reinforcer that's operating on my behavior mm-hmm. it's but it is reinforcement and i think that that's where like the foundation of a strongly behavioral understanding can come into play where we're not just thinking about reinforcement as a token ticket ticket but yeah, not saying yeah. that those things don't have a place i totally have been in situations where to build skills that's what right. that's what's working in the moment and that's what we're going to go with we're going to go with what's working so we can build on the success of that student and mm-hmm. then we can move into you know a different framework mm-hmm. as we're building those skills yeah listen you don't have to like i've been in some tough classrooms like i've had to last year i can remember going into a classroom and there were a team of four of us um and my teammate said, when I 
<laughs> she said, when I came in and I looked at your face, the look on your face made me think, we're not going to be able to do this. But immediately I said, we have to get, I need snacks. Mm-hmm. Like I, like there was no, we weren't, we weren't coming out of that alive unless we went back to, okay, you're, you're sitting down, you're starting, you're, here's a goldfish. Like I, that is literally what we had to do to build, um, to build the skills, to build the, to get the compliance that we needed in that given moment. Yeah. Um, or else we weren't making it out. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. And if all else fails, like that is my, my go-to thing because Many of the times I'm going into environments with kids I don't have a relationship right. with. Mm-hmm. And I'm expected to respond, uh, model, mm-hmm. uh, an intervention. And sometimes it requires me to have a bag of tricks. And you best right. believe I have yeah. just so many things readily available that I can pull from. Um, yeah. Nothing is worse than not being able to feel like you can stop, right. help, you know, get the situation under control. And I know that that shouldn't be the expectation, but when you're like, just the, the feeling of, okay, here's the behavior specialist from the district coming in. Like you, you're suddenly, you, you, you possess this magic that you don't, um, there's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you know that, like it's so, so much pressure. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I always like frame it as first go to is always to build a skill and how do we allow that skill to contract naturally occurring reinforcers. But there are times where I have to open the window to build those skills and I you mm-hmm. and I will utilize tangibles or reinforcers mm-hmm. to open that window so that we can start building that contingency so that I can start fading it out to start building that natural reinforcer. And I and I think that that that's a progression that some of our students need. And then some of our students, this plan B is a really great option right out of the gate. Some of our students might need other supports until we can move into more of a plan B model. Um, and I think, like you said, it's having your bag of tricks, having your continuum of interventions. Like we have a continuum of services in public schools, having a continuum of interventions, I think is ideal. I don't think we'll ever find something that's this is the only thing we should be doing, right? Like this is the end all be all, this right. is going to solve everything. But if we have a framework of and, an, and a continuum of interventions to pull from, we can, you know, a one size fits all model doesn't work. Yeah. And we can utilize this, especially with tiered systems of support and an MTSS model as different like plug and play options for, you know, what's going to work best for this student. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about where you think this fits within MTSS? Because I know we were having a little bit of dialogue about that. Um. Sure, yeah. Um, so for... For those of you unfamiliar, MTSS is a framework of supports. It's a tiered system of supports. Um, it's called multi-tiered systems of supports. A lot of people are familiar with RTI, which um, is response to intervention that deals with a lot of the academic side of it. And then multi-tiered systems of support is an umbrella term that really brings together response to intervention and like a PBIS framework or behavioral framework to address both academic, behavioral, and social emotional learning needs through that tiered structure. And essentially each tier builds on levels of support. So your first tier is that like class-wide, everyone is getting these supports. And then our tier two is for students who um, might need additional support to learn those skills. And our tier three is for our students who need even further additional supports, but it also goes and the enrichment side as well, where some of our students might need additional academic support in the enrichment um, categories. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people think of MTSS as like just like a deficit-based model where we're, we're, we're moving kids throughout the tiers based on deficits, but it's also it can also be based on different aspects of their learning profile. Um, so that's multi-tiered systems of support. And I, I do think that this framework can fit like very nicely in tier two. I think tier one, we're really looking at classroom management and um, some sort of social emotional learning curriculum that's happening class-wide. And, and if we need additional support and we have identified lagging skills, this could be a nice tier two option to provide those supports and that skill development for our students. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just wondering, and I don't know how far here, 
we've had trainings. All of our schools are um, up to speed with, I think they can tell you what MTSS stands for. Now, as far as the installation of it, mm -hmm. um, that varies. Mm -hmm. I think obviously COVID is, is going to impact that. I think on the academic side, uh, we're probably stronger. And I think that's just because um, academic come with interventions already built in and data and schools are like driven and motivated to to perform and behavior comes with data associated with discipline usually mm -hmm. and we kind of gloss over that supplemental support and move up to that intensive realm thinking about the assessment of lagging skills and when you brought up tier two and we call it supplemental um, here mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if that would be something um, we could use as to hit our standard protocol. So uh, as a screener almost mm -hmm. for some kids that, you know, we know that these kids have been targeted and identified and they potentially may have some, you know, needs. We, we use um, Panorama Ed, so we already have that as a potential universal screener on um, some of our students, but taking a deeper dive to form some of those supplemental mm -hmm. pullout groups. Yeah. Um, I think, there's a lot of um, information that could be gathered there for our interventionists, for the teachers when they're developing plans around supplemental uh, needs in that tier two area. That is, that is such a great point. I didn't even think about that as using the lagging skills assessment as a type of screener to then support students with those supplemental supplemental groups because a lot of times tier two interventions are like small group interventions and stuff and you're so right you hit like the nail on the head with a lot of times academic supports are stronger because, well, one, we have normative data for academic supports and we have bench, very clear benchmarks for like reading fluency and math, you know, math achievement that allow us to identify students who might need additional support. But we don't have that for behavior. We don't have any really norm data for behavior. So really, it's up to the district to establish that norm for their population of students and then provide supports based on that data and, um, and we can utilize this as, as, like you said, a screener. I love that idea. I think that could be really effective. Yeah, I think we're we're just in the growing phases. Like we have um, for core, which is our tier one, we focused a lot with helping our administrators and we have some MTSS coordinators in the schools understand behavior as differentiated core supports because we often will talk about differentiated supports and academics but we never touch on that with behavior mm -hmm. so we went through and we developed an entire google drive um, and went through things like fidgets behavior contracts flexible seating um how you do it why you do it who it's for and we even created like just um some data forms that they can mm -hmm. capture some data if they decide to use it but to get them into thinking of you know you may have a universal system that you use in your classroom like some schools use dojo mm -hmm. but before you move to thinking oh i've got to send this, this student to the office look back and think how could you differentiate those behavior supports you know mm -hmm. what is something else that you can give them so that they can access the classroom environment um, mm -hmm. just like you would do if I was having trouble adding you might give me some you know manipulatives all that good stuff um, and that has seemed to be we've got a lot of a really good reception from that a lot of people pulled from the google drive um, because ultimately we want them to be just as skilled at understanding when to use certain strategies and mm -hmm. that just because a student needs this kind of support doesn't necessarily mean that they need a plan. It just means this is where I'm at as the learner in your room. Help me to access. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. And, it, and having that like bank of interventions is is a really neat resource that you have for your for your buildings. I think that that can be really integral because a lot of times what I hear from teachers is I don't like I don't know what to do. I don't know what my options are and and having a bank of interventions to pull from that are kind of separated out by the tiers of like, you know, a simple visual schedule can be really effective yeah. for a kid or, you know, if you have the whole class schedule on the board, also giving them a little post it mm -hmm. with a breakdown of the specific tasks, one, two and three, what do you need to do can be so effective and we don't need a a behavior plan you know at that point right. that might you know take care of the situation and i do think that um that that type of intervention and support mm -hmm. can be really effective for for classrooms mm -hmm. and teachers and 
um, providing that guidance and, and structure. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I couldn't agree. People were, they were excited to have, because we have it, you know, how, I don't know about you, but everybody loves a good Google Drive and then separated into folders and then providing examples. So giving them the actual resources that they can put their hands on. Um, hopefully uh, we'll have some time to go back to that again um, as our, our kids have all been, we're just now transitioning back into buildings here. Mm -hmm. um, our high schoolers are still um, out in learning from home remotely. Um, and so as we move, the next step that we're looking at is developing a standard protocol mm -hmm. for our supplemental um, and um, trying to figure out, you know, what do we already have as a district and then how can we fit this into what we have um, using the St. Kids model. And I'm really thinking um, that assessment of lagging skills might be used as one of our, our, our screeners. Yeah, I love that idea. Or um, I think that any district, or you know, if you're if you're a teacher listening to this, or another behavior specialist, I think having a really strong system of tiered supports is so important. But it it's, it doesn't happen overnight. That this is like a work in progress, and and having like that bank of options that you can um, really individualize to different students and different needs, different situations. I think is going to be integral to the success of of that. And I. I do think that the collaborative problem solving framework is something that can be extremely beneficial to have within your multi-tiered systems of support. So mm -hmm. if you have the opportunity to go to the training, I yeah. I would recommend it. I, I give it 10 out of 10, would recommend. What about you? Yeah, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. All right, everyone. So that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that this episode was helpful and I hope that you go check out the thinkkids.org website. They have a ton of free resources on there if you're looking for different ways to help support the behavioral and social emotional learning needs of your students. Speaking of addressing the needs of your students, if you're looking for more resources, I have a classroom behavior intervention checklist that is a complete checklist to optimize your classroom for behavioral success. So that is a completely free guide that I have for you in the description of this podcast. Feel free to go down to the description and download that guide. Again, it's completely free. It'll end up in your inbox very, very shortly. And this is something that you can utilize to help optimize the behavioral intervention strategies that you're utilizing in your classroom. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. If you are looking for more behavioral and social emotional learning tips, make sure you go follow me over on Instagram at teaching behavior together and follow Shannon as well at basically behavior. And we'd be happy to answer any of your questions or carry on this conversation further if you do have other questions about the thinkkids.org trainings or the collaborative problem solving model in general. Again, thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of the day.